How do I start this? Collect myself. Remember how this podcast starts. Welcome back to Love Ya, your guided tour through the world of streaming teen rom-coms. I am your co-host, young adult librarian and YA lit enthusiast, Martha Sullivan, and I am joined, as always, by my other co-host. I'm Marin Hagman, uh, no longer youth services librarian, now adult reference librarian, um, and romance novel and rom-com enthusiast. I didn't know that you had moved away from youth services. I did. Yeah. Yeah, big shift. So no more story times? No more story times. Which is sad. You know, I did did story times for a long time, and they were fun while I was doing them, but I was not sad to give them up. Yeah. It was... I found I found the performative aspect of that to be very pretty stressful, even though there's very little you can do for a baby that they don't find wildly entertaining. <laughs> yeah, and I think too. I mean, for me, like because I have been coming from teaching, which is basically like eight hours a day of story time. Um, <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> um, I. I probably, my tendency was to overplan, um, you know, like I would in teaching. I kind of would overthink it, and so, like, didn't probably have enough fun doing story times for the now short time I did them. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So, we are going to be talking today about the movie that was the inspiration for this podcast. Um... Netflix's 2018 To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Uh, This is the story of Lara Jean, played by Lana Condor, who, as a way to kind of work through the feelings that she has when she has a very strong crush on a boy, writes them a letter that she doesn't intend to send. She just puts it in an envelope in a box and puts it under her bed. Uh, until her little sister finds the letters and in an effort to shake up Lara Jean's life and add a little bit more drama, uh, she puts all of those in the mail and sends them out to uh, all of these boys that Lara Jean has been crushing on through the course of her adolescence. Um, One of these is the very cute... Uh, Peter, played by Noah Centineo, who is dating the popular girl... Um, and another is, um, uh, what is the name of her sister's ex-boyfriend? Oh, yeah, okay, we were right on the same page. So, another is Josh, um, who yes. her sister had dated for two years, um, and they have just recently broken up, um, and so Laura Jean, in an effort to be a good sister, is doing her damnedest, um, to make sure that Josh does not know she has had slash potentially still has feelings for him. So after these letters go out, um, Laura Jean decides, and I will confess this is the part of the movie that even after watching it twice is still a little murky to me 
Uh, Lara Jean decides that the best way to dissuade Josh from thinking she still has feelings for him is to pretend to date Peter, who also decides it is a mutual fake dating situation. Um, Peter is trying to make his ex-girlfriend Jen jealous by dating, by pretending to date Lara. Um, and as all all true fake dating stories go, um, at a certain point, it becomes no longer fake. Uh, this book is based on a novel by Jenny Han, which is the first in a series of, I believe, three books about Lara Jean. Uh, the sequel to To All the Boys I've Loved Before is coming to Netflix in February. Um, and that was why we finally decided to uh, talk about this movie on the podcast. So, on a scale from 1 to 10, how much do you love this movie? I mean, this is definitely, like, the only Netflix original 10. I mean, this is, they have definitely not topped this, um, as far as I can see. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I was watching this movie when it was originally released, and I was like, I want to talk about this movie with someone for six hours, and... (laughs) Because I'm a millennial, I also felt that other people should listen to me talk about this movie for six hours. <laughs> uh, side note to our listeners, this episode will not be six hours long. Um, but no, I think from the casting down to the... Um, I, I, I was going to say from the casting down to the work adapting it. I confess, I've never read To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Oh, okay, good. I haven't either. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I should reveal that. No, I, I have not. Um, I've recommended it to a lot of teenagers because I do feel very strongly that I kind of know what its deal is. Um, I was trying to read it, and it's never on the shelf at the library. So oh, yeah, I haven't here. had the chance to yet. I am going to assume that this movie does a fairly good job of adapting the story because I don't feel like I saw anybody when it came out complaining about how they adapted it. Yeah, I think there were a few minor tweaks from what I understand. And the only other thing I believe is that it might go, like the ending might go like one step further um, into the second book. Um, but other than that, yes, it's it's pretty faithful. Um, but yeah, I think I would like to start with the, I'd like to start by talking about the casting for this movie, because I think that Lana Condor is adorable and I want her to be in like everything. Yes. Yes. She does does a great job of playing a role that I think could have been kind of thankless. Like, I think that there are moments in the movie where Lara Jean could have come across as being very, um... Not overbearing, but a little bit like, I I don't know that her choices would have worked for me as well if the actress hadn't been as likable as Lana Condor is. Yes, and I um, think, like, because she had to portray, because it's very clear that Lara Jean is a very, I don't want to say self-contained character, but a lot of the the rationale the reasoning for her choices not that it has to be explained but a lot of that plot is going on inside her head and so in addition to the voiceovers they do um 
you know, you need someone as expressive as Lana Condor. Uh, Gio really portrayed this. I clearly am having thoughts and feelings, but I'm not necessarily sharing them. Um, and I think, yeah, in the hands of the wrong actress, it would have just come off as stiff. Yeah, she has a very expressive face. Um, and I also, I, I thought that she got, because she, she has to play a, a lot of different relationships in this movie. So she's got the, the romantic relationship going on with Peter, or the fake romantic relationship. She's got the crush she's got on Josh. She also has two completely different sister relationships that she's juggling, and then also her relationship with her dad. Her mother passed away? Yes. Their mother Left. passed away. Um, passed she, away. She definitely passed away. Um, I don't know that it's clear how recently that has happened. Um. um but I, I think that the, the movie is less than two hours. And I thought that it does a really excellent job of showing the like the quality of the relationships like her her relation all of those different relationships i feel are very fully realized yes um and you get a lot of like her her 12 year old sister at one point is like i had to turn down plans to stay in and watch golden girls <laughs> with you on a friday night and you didn't so like that one conversation lasts for like 12 seconds and tells you so much about both of these girls um that i just i loved it um yeah i think they do a really good job of i mean even for example the relationship between josh margo's ex and their dad in the like 45 seconds they're on screen together it's very clear like oh they spent a lot of time together and you know this dude has been a, a good high school boyfriend to his daughter there's like a moment where uh he asked him to hold the meat that they're having for dinner because it's yes. too tough and so it needs to be cut instead of just like picked apart with a fork which from what I remember about eating meat, like, meat that's very tender is supposed to do. Um, yeah. Oh, just, yeah, like, even, like, they go to the trouble of, like, characterizing well such a non-central relationship to the story. Um, how did we feel, to the extent that there are, that there is a villain in this story, I think it is... You know, I'm even hesitant to say, I was going to say, I think it's Jen, the ex-girlfriend, um, Peter's ex-girlfriend, who he's trying to sort of reconcile with. But I don't know that I would even go so far as to call her a villain. Like, she's the, um, you know, villainized in so much as girls who are pretty and popular in high school and tend to get everything they want are villainized but i i don't i think the movie does a really good job at not making her like a one-dimensional popular terrible person right i think they give us some insight into her i mean i will also say like she is genuinely pretty mean um to laura uh -huh. jean um and oh, peter for, for sure for um, sure 
Yeah, but, but yeah, also... but, but you're right. She's not, like, portrayed as, like, evil. She's just, you know, a high school girl going through some stuff. Extremely petty and catty, and I don't mean to... Because, yeah, at one point... At one point, does she... Is it confirmed that she's the one that takes the video of yes. Lara Jean and Peter making out? Yes. Yeah, so she films Lara Jean and Peter making out in a hot tub and posts it online. And that's horrible and cyberbullying, and I don't mean to excuse any of that. Um, but I also think the movie does a good job of making you think about the fact that that's a relationship that she clearly had... Um, that was clearly a big part of her life for a long time. And because she's a teenage girl, she doesn't know how to deal with the fact that it's over now, even though she's the reason that it's over now. Like there, there's a lot in this movie about people having to accept the consequences of their actions. Mm -hmm. Like when Margot leaves for school and breaks up with Josh, like that's not easy and it sucks, but it's a decision that she makes and that she then has to live with. Um, and teens don't always make the best decisions for themselves yeah yeah um, and that was one thing that struck me rewatch so i rewatched this today for the first time in a, in a while and or at least the first half i feel like i've i've watched the second half of this movie you know as i tend to do i'm one of those people when i rewatch things i just like skip around to scenes i like um but i rewatched like the whole first half of this movie for the first time in a while um and, yeah, that was one thing that struck me. Like, the one false note seemed to really be, and I and I get the sense, and I think the actress who plays Margot, um, Janelle Parrish, does a really good job of characterizing Margot as someone who feels, you know, very responsible and very um, put together. And it's kind of, not breezily, but it's... You know, I remember one thing that shocked me was being like, huh, like, she's not being cavalier about it, but this decision does, you know, we don't really get to see the backstory to this decision. It does kind of seem to come out of nowhere. I think at a later point in the movie, she does tell Lara Jean that their mom had always told them don't go to college with yeah, the boyfriend. Yeah, she does. Yeah, she does. And I'm just saying, like, yeah, like, that becomes later apparent later on. But yeah, at the in the first part, like, it's just kind of like, oh, where's this coming from? You know? Yeah, like, Josh was secure enough in their relationship to buy plane tickets yeah. to go plan to see her at her abroad college over um, the holidays. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I do feel, I do feel all kinds of ways about that because that is extremely presumptuous yeah. as well. Um, yeah, that was, that was, a, and considering, like, Josh is kind of, I don't, I don't know. I, part of me too was like, what is the appeal of this guy for both of these sisters? Um, but I mean, it was like a very sweet gesture that you're like, oh, but honey, you should have asked. You know, you can see exactly yes. where he was coming from and where Marco was coming from. For sure. Um, as to his appeal, I, I, we get that cute little montage about how Lara Jean and he were friends before he started dating her sister. Um, and I think that's the most personality that we get out of Josh yes. the whole movie. 
which I was glad that we got because otherwise, yeah, I agree. It would have been like, why are you guys wasting your time on this guy? Right? I was just like, what is, does he, I don't know, like, does he exert some sort of magic? Like, I, I mean, he's fine. He's, he clearly knows how to play the parent game, which when you're a teen is important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that kind I mean, the, the thoughtfulness that evolves eventually into buying a plane ticket, an international plane ticket to go visit your girlfriend in college, like that, I think probably starts as like reasonable thoughtfulness yeah. and then evolves into that is thoughtful, but you should have asked perhaps. Um, yeah. but let us be honest he is no Peter Kavinsky. No, no, no. And I mean, that could also be the fatal flaw too, right? That he's just like, does not stand up well in relation to Peter Kavinsky. Which also just might be a function of the fact that like, we see Peter a whole lot more. A lot more. I'm not mad about it. Nah, nah. <laughs> this is the movie, I believe, that introduced the world to Noah Centineo. It sure is. It is certainly the first movie that I remember being cognizant of him and he has popped up in a couple of other movies that we've discussed on this podcast and I think that this is still his best role so far oh yeah I think he he gets that kind of self-effacingly adorable like I I know that I'm very likable but I'm not going to be a jerk about it kind of deal yeah, like a healthy self-esteem, but also... Also, unlike Sierra Burgess, I am not asked to believe that people don't find him attractive in this right. movie. <laughs> One of the more inexplicable parts of Sierra Burgess. That was wild. Yeah. So I, I think that we can agree that at the moment, this is our current gold standard for the teen oh, rom-com yeah. genre. What is this movie getting right that other movies aren't? Well, I think it goes back to some of the things you were saying earlier, that the relationships really feel authentic. Like, there's not a forced sense of, oh, we're going here and doing this because the plot demands we go here and do this. Um, I think that you get a sense much more like naturally that this plot evolves from the characters and not the other way around. Um, and I think that that is something other ones of these Netflix originals don't have going for them. I also think it's important that there is that wide variety of relationships. Yes. Like frequently. Frequently when I'm watching a teen movie, I'm like, this is all well and good, but these characters are 16 and I need to know where the parents are. Yes. To be fair to the genre is not something that I think I was concerned about when I myself was a teenager watching movies. But I, as an adult, am always like, "Mm, hold up. Where is your parent or where is your teacher? And I do appreciate a story that either tells me why they're not there, like fine let's like 
if we were at a boarding school or something, like that would be a reason why we wouldn't have a parent presence. But I would really rather it be something like this, which has her dad. He does not overstay his welcome and he's not a focal point in the movie, but he exists and they have a relationship and it is like established and easy and then just kind of accepted there in the background. Right. Right. And he, you know, shows up to parent his daughters. Yes. (laughs) Although I will say I had a little trouble with the ski trip sequence Mm. because that in the film, like the junior is it limited to the junior class or just anyone at the high school can go on this i i got the sense that it was a class specific trip okay because it seemed like people something people were looking forward to yeah so they go skiing and they're at which in and of itself like a class trip to go skiing fine i that doesn't that part i don't have a problem with the part that i had an issue with was that the lodge that they were at looked like someone's dad's like wealthy ski lodge and there just seemed to be very little adult supervision over a group of teenagers that as far as I could tell were going in and out of each other's rooms like without right any kind of chaperone like, there's um, not even a nod to, oh, we've got to get around the chaperone in some way, shape, or form. Like, we have to wait right. until and so-and-so is asleep. And and all of the overnight trips that I went on as a high schooler were were much better supervised than that. Yeah. So that part, I was kind of... And honestly, if they had just said, like, if they'd made it not a school trip... Like, if it had just been something the kids had put together, like, make it a rich kid's dad inviting the whole class being. Like, that's fine. Yeah. Um, And I also did not spend that much time being worried about this. Like, this was a very small nitpick of mine that was just kind of a, "Mm, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, to be honest with you, so I'm trying to think, I maybe had... One or two overnight trips for speech. But I didn't really have any overnight trips in high school. Um, And they were all pretty small group. I think it was just, like, a few of us from the speech team. So I, I don't remember there being a particular, like... Emphasis on the chaperonage. Um, I feel like there was the expectation of, hey, you're back in your room by this time. Like, we're at a hotel in the suburbs of Minneapolis. What are you going to do? Uber yeah. doesn't exist yet. Like, <laughs> um, But, yeah. yeah I, went on, I went on a trip with my geology class, oh. which was very fun. But, yeah, we were down in the Missouri Ozarks, so we were in, like a motel on the side of the road and my teacher did do room checks but it was the same thing it was like where were we gonna go right um but yeah we definitely we did have have room checks at the end of the day and we're like expected to check in 
in the morning by a certain time. Um, trying to think, I don't know if I went on any others. I did a week in Florida over the summer once, but that was like a class. Oh, that was a sure. whole. Yeah, nothing recreational, nothing like this. This ski trip, right? Which was... Right. <laughs> Um, normally at this point, uh, we would, we would do some rom-com rehab. Are we willing to call this a perfect film? Oh, um, <laughs> and willing... if not, cause that's, that's a, that's a strong language. <laughs> um, what could we fix? What would we change? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely willing to call this a perfect rom-com. Um, I mean, I think there are some issues we have addressed of, like, Josh's lack of character. Uh, you know, no emphasis on the teacher supervision during an overnight trip. Um, but that's about it. I have to say, I did, when I was going back, I was like, I can't remember how convincing... The like lead up to their fake relationship was, and then I rewatched it today, and I was like, "Oh, actually, that was very convincing." <laughs> um, like on, I would like. To... Oh, sorry. I was gonna say on rewatch it, it really seemed to hold together. I would like to know why anybody in any of these fake dating stories thinks that things will turn out any other way. <laughs> well, I think I forget where I read this. I, I, I'm guessing it's um, Smart Bitches Trashy Books, which is a wonderful yeah. website um, that, for those who don't know, um, reviews uh, romance novels. Um, I remember them, I'm pretty sure it was on there, having an article about, and of course since you know, if not marriages of convenience, I think maybe they called it, like, relationships of convenience. And sure. there, I think they broke it down well of the reason they work so well in fiction is because we have the tension of will they get together, will they not. But we also, like, have, you know, kind of almost this deus ex machina showing us into this relationship, like... They're forced to have a relationship and behave like a romantic couple, but we still don't actually know if they'll get together. And, mm -hmm. like, that tension is what makes that work so well in fiction. Because, um, yeah, I cannot imagine there are many real-life stories of <laughs> relationships of convenience. We have to pretend to be married. Right, for right. For well, reasons. <laughs> reasons. Well, and like I said, I'm still kind of iffy or ishy on why it makes sense for Lara Jean to pretend to be, like, what she is trying to accomplish. I mean, I think she's trying to accomplish Josh not figuring out that she likes him and thereby being a loyal sister. I, I think they do make that connection. Again, on rewatch, it was a little clearer than I had remembered. Okay. I was like, oh, okay. Because it's like one step removed, which seems exactly 
like something a teenage girl would do. I did enjoy the sequence where she is starting to realize that these boys that she's had crushes on have received her letters. Oh, yeah. It is a very intense freak out, which I understood um, and sympathized with deeply and culminates as Josh is walking towards her holding the letter in his hand after Peter Kavinsky has been like, hey, so thanks, but no thanks. She sort of panic makes out with Peter. <laughs> like, yes. as a way to avoid talking to Josh. And I was like, you know, I've never panicked. I've never panic kissed anyone, but this whole sequence makes total sense to me. Yeah. Like, I was like, yep, I, I know the point at which your brain thinks that that is a like reasonable course of action. <laughs> yes. I, I think the one thing I might have fixed was it feels like, so she is a big fan of like, classic teen rom-coms like um when she finds out peter hasn't seen is it pretty in pink uh it's either 16 pretty, candles. it's oh it might be 16 candles I well she she finds out that he hasn't seen that and so she's like oh my gosh we have to watch them or we have to watch it and i almost wish that there had been more like, if that had been worked more into the fabric of the film thematically, like, if, if those movies were going to be important to her, I think I would have liked to have had more callbacks to them. Yeah, it did seem kind not of even, like a one-off. Not even references, but, like, something that kind of acknowledges, and that could have been fun even just acknowledging that this is the root of the genre that this movie is in. Right. So we're going to kind of play on them. Um, I think that could have been fun, but I didn't need it. It just would have been like right. a, a cool acknowledgement. Well, I think it actually would have been really fun for, um, I really like the opener where they have, you know, her pretending to be in a romance novel. And I thought it would be fun to have like the closer be her, or like some other scene in the movie be her imagining herself in the place of one of those classic rom-coms. That would have been great because the movie is so internal. Yes. We could have spent more time like in her kind of fantasy world. We do get lots of conversations with both pretend Josh and pretend Peter, which I did enjoy. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I feel like we could have had those in like Regency era costuming yeah because <laughs> like josh in the opening one isn't even in full regency gear i think that would have been hysterical and would have also played into how internal lara jean's like whole deal is yeah in a really fun way um but yeah but, but yeah that, is, that would have been more of a perk rather than exactly <laughs> they should have done this exactly yeah it was just something i was thinking about while watching this time i was like oh yeah they did the romance novel one they talked about all these rom-coms they should have done a rom-com one but, but so, not a deal breaker <laughs> no not at all 
Um, so I think it's pretty clear that we liked this movie. Oh, yeah. Did we have any? Do we have anything else we wanted to say about it? Um, not that I can think of, other than if you haven't watched it, dear God, why not? And you know, go do that. Yeah, if you are listening to this podcast, clearly this is an area that you are interested in, and you should make time to watch to all the boys I've loved before, especially because the sequel's on its way. Hooray! Woo! Soon. What did I see? February? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it has a um, explicit date yet, but definitely February in that neighborhood. Yeah, and I think they like to, um, Netflix likes to just, like, give a general and then, like, suddenly, like, a week before, it'll be like, oh, next week! Sure. Or just whenever they feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you recommend for people who are fans of Do All the Boys I've Loved Before? Yeah. So I struggle with this because there are a lot of really good, um, and I was thinking specifically Marriage of Convenience since my, well, I I think it's not arrogant to say area of wide knowledge are Regency romance novels. So those tend to be more marriage of conveniences. Um, And the one that stuck out to me that I really remember is The Devil in Winter by Lisa Kleypas. Um, Oh. Lisa Kleypas was the first romance novelist I really ever read. Um, Oh, no, that's a lie. I read Nora Roberts before I read Lisa Kleypas. Um, But Lisa Kleypas was really the first Regency romance novelist I got into. Um, And it's... Yeah, The Devil in Winter is a really good um, marriage of convenience. It's um, a kind of redemption story because it takes the villain of the story before um, and he becomes the hero. Um, And so the marriage of convenience happens because he needs money, um, which explains his villainous behavior in the previous book. Um, and the heroine needs legal protection from her terrible family. Um, now that her father has died, um, the people who are her guardians are awful. Um, and so she runs away in the middle of the night, um, and knowing that this dude, based on his past villainous behavior, is the only person who's probably as desperate as she is, um, basically says, all right, let's go get in a carriage and go up to Gretna Green so you can have my money, and I can have legal protections from my terrible aunt and uncle, um, who are trying to force me to marry my cousin. No. Yeah. There's always, I feel like there's always a gross cousin in right? agency or romances. And this one, he doesn't turn out to be gross so much as just, like, inept. Um, oh, no. So he is kind of a pawn, too. Um, I believe it's Cousin Eustace, if I'm remembering correctly. Ew! Which, oh, Cousin Eustace, he does not get his own book, I will just point out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Evie, the heroine, um, and Sebastian, the hero, um, set out to Gretna Green, get married, come back, um, and from there, Sebastian, like, starts himself on a path to better behavior, and... Evie starts herself on a path to, um, you know, asserting herself, which, sorry, from what I've described of her running away in the middle of the night, 
and telling this guy she's got to marry him is not, like, true to her character that we had seen in the previous book. She's, like, very shy, like, painfully shy. Um, so she, like, into looked... it. Yeah. So, anyway. I'm Dev- into her, her getting hers. Exactly. So, Devil in Winter, Lisa Kleypas. It's the third in her Wallflower series. Um, I would recommend all the Wallflower series. Um, but, yeah, this one is probably my favorite marriage of convenience are these books that you recommend reading in order or can you kind of no. pick them up however you want? No, you can pick them up in whatever order you want. I believe I read the last one first. Um, ah. <laughs> some of the, yeah. Some of the things will make more sense in Double in Winter if you've read the one before. It happened one autumn um, just because you understand why everyone is very mad at the hero. Uh, sure. And you understand a little bit. Although they kind of detail what he did. Um pretty pretty clearly and you know make a big deal one thing i really like about it is they really do make a big deal of him making amends you know he he is held to account for his bad behavior which i like sure um anyway yeah devil in winter by lisa Kleypas. read them read the whole series it's a good one uh so my recommendation for you all is the wedding date by jasmine guillory yes um (laughs) this is about alexa who is in an elevator with a gentleman named drew who unbeknownst to her is standing up in his ex's wedding and suddenly finds himself in need of a date so alexa agrees to attend with him and this is one of my very favorite modern fake dating turns into something real uh romances out there right now um i looked for something ya and i just haven't read a lot of ya fake dating um so i did not really feel comfortable picking uh picking something out of that arena but yeah jasmine guillory writes incredible incredibly charming uh modern romances and i would start with the wedding date yes oh uh, she is great have you ever listened to she and Daniel Ortberg are friends? Um, she was a guest on Dear Prudence, yes! and it was so good. It was so good. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but yeah, she was on Dear Prudence. It was awesome. I was listening to that one a little more recently. Yeah. Oh, she's great. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. It has been a pleasure and a delight to talk about this movie today. Um, If you would like more, um, this podcast releases on the same update stream as my other podcast, Did You Do Your Homework?, which I do with Martin's husband, Pete. Um, These come out on alternating Wednesdays, so check that out. You can also find us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at DYDYHpodcast. And you can find us on Facebook, just search did you do your homework and we're the first people that pop up if you would like to follow me on social media you can find me on all the places at magical martha uh, including a newsletter that i write on tiny letter which you can find at tinyletter.com backslash magical martha marn where can people find you um you can find me on twitter at a underscore star underscore danced um, where I talk a lot about romance novels and politics and the state of Minnesota. 
we will be back in a couple of weeks to discuss another adapted from YA film on Netflix. Noah and Eli's that's that's wrong. It's not Noah. Uh Naomi? Naomi and Eli's no kiss list. <laughs> um you can find that streaming on Netflix. Also, if you'd like to take a look, it is based on a novel by David Levithan and Rachel Cohn, if you wanna take a gander at that. But that is all for us today. We will see you in a couple of weeks. And until then, love ya. I hope, yes, I hope I like Noah and Eli. The cover is very cute. Yeah, I'll be really curious. Curious to see how it goes. <laughs>